All right. So I thought I'd make a podcast about my experiences traveling. And it's going to be me rambling on at a camera for like 30 minutes. But I thought, what better way of doing it? Um, yeah, I don't really have an introduction for this. I just thought I'd do a little, little something different. I found that a lot of people have asked me about my experiences traveling, um, how to do it. A lot of people believe that they can't do it for some reason, although it's perfectly manageable. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd do a podcast episode just on me spending seven months traveling across Asia. Um, at 22, I was when I left, actually. So I kind of start with some context. Like, I always wanted to travel. It was always one of those things that I aspired to do. From as young as I can remember, I always said to my mom, dad, I was like, look, I want to travel as soon as uni's finished. As soon as university's finished. I'm fucking over here. Um, I think part of that's probably taken from my brother uh, as inspiration. I remember he always talked about traveling. Um, he'd done a bit of time in Australia, where I am now. Um, as soon as he finished as well, uh, or during his university years. So yeah, I think I'd always wanted to do it, I'd always known about it. I'd watched the movie Into the Wild enough that I was like, fuck, like, I, I need to get out there and see the world. Um, and to give context anyone that doesn't know what this podcast is, I'm Scottish and I'm in Melbourne, Australia just now as well. So I've been away from home for around a year now, like, pretty much bang on a year. I think I'm like two weeks off it. Um, I left last February and it was so cold in Scotland at this point. February tends to be our coldest month. So I was in Glasgow at that point. Um, had worked for maybe six months coming out of uni. Um, saved up a bunch of money over time. Um, also very lucky that mum and dad are very supportive and had gifted his money um, over time for various things like finishing uni and getting a degree so incredibly lucky to have parents like that that helped um, but also just a product of like saving up a lot of money over the years and doing a lot of work over the years as well um, yeah so decided fuck it I think it was maybe like November or December, um, a mate from home, Kieran Feakin, had told me how he'd spent the previous summer in Italy um, learning how to make pasta and just sitting, he was in a town called Modena, I'm sure, um, and he'd done it through this thing called Workaway or what was it called? It wasn't Workaway that I used, it was uh, World Packers. And you basically, it's like this app where you live with like a foreign family and you maybe work with them. Kind of like a work exchange program. Anyways, I'd heard about it and I was like, okay, that sounds cool. So I was having a scroll through the app and I saw one in Nepal. And I remember my brother, my brother went there two years prior and he told me how amazing it was. That's where Everest Base Camp is. That's where all of that shit is. And I was like, oh, like I'll just, I'll apply to it for the, the shits and giggles. Like there's no way that I'll ever get this. Like my initial plan was to go to Spain to start with, do the Camino de Santiago. I was like, nah, do you know what? Shits and gigs, I'll apply to it. And then a week later, got a message back being like, yeah, cool. Like, 
Cubs is in Feb's day for a month. <laughs> I was like, okay, sick. Um, so yeah, I booked my flights later that week, told some friends slowly, and then February 28th is when my flight was. I I left in Nepal, so I flew from Glasgow to Kathmandu. I think it was like a nine-hour flight or something. It wasn't awful. Landed in Kathmandu, and I was ill on the plane for some reason. Like, oh, I <laughs> reminiscing about it now, I did the stupidest thing. So the night before was like, it was a combination of like nerves and like just excitement and anxiety and everything else you feel before setting off on a, a one-way ticket to the other side of the world. And I just didn't sleep well the night before and I was ill, actually. And I remember the airport going through security. I took my, la my laptop out of my bag and I put it um, on one of the little trays going through airport security. And then just completely forgot about it. And I didn't realise until I got to, where was it? Um, I think it was Dubai, because I transited through Dubai. I realised that I'd lost my laptop. <laughs> so this was day one, I was ill, I'd had lost my laptop. And I was like, travelling is not going well for me so far. But um, I was lucky enough, I emailed Glasgow Airport and they were like, yeah, we've, we've got it, it's yours. So just extremely lucky with that one. But that was day one. Landed in Kathmandu, I was incredibly ill. And I got there and I got off the plane, you come outside the airport and it's just chaos. Like, there's no other way to describe Kathmandu. It's like, it's packed, it's hot and sweaty. There's like, as soon as you step out, there's like a million people like trying to get you to take a taxi with them. It's just like everyone's speaking a different language. It's really like, like beeping a car horn there is just like, that's how you say hello. That's how you say like, I'm here. So it's just constant, like that's the noise. That's the soundtrack of Kathmandu. It's just car horns beeping. That's, that's common. So you come outside and there's just all this chaos. And there was like a, it was a Hindu festival of some kind on that day. And we were driving, so the I was with a host family for the first few weeks because um, I wanted the proper Nepalese experience. And we're driving back and it's just, just madness coming through through this Hindu festival. There's like thousands and thousands and thousands of people on the street. I remember just thinking like in that taxi, like what the fuck am I doing? Like what am I actually doing here? Um, so yeah, the first first few days were pretty terrifying, like, reminiscing on it now, I had a lot of fear at that point, and it was weird because I'd always thought myself as really headstrong, um, and I always knew that I wanted to do travelling, so to go out there and realise that, oh shit, like, I can actually get scared or have these feelings of, like, I wasn't not feeling good enough, but just like terrified of what I was doing. And it was only once I was there that it hit me. Anyways, got there, um, met their family, uh, uh, Shiva, his wife, and two kids. And one of the kids was called Sabanai. He was 18 years old. Um, so it was really fun. I stayed with them for three weeks. But I remember the first few days I was just so ill. 
and they were trying to get me to taste all these new foods and I just like could not keep any of it down and I felt so bad because I really wanted to like experience their culture and be part of that with them and I just like I couldn't because I was so ill and I felt so bad but eventually a few days later did get better um, and yeah made friends with Sab and I especially he was 18 and it was really fun like he he had so many questions about western society he loved movies um, it was so inter interesting just like him asking questions about places in the west back in home in the UK and like he's talking about like girls and like high school and stuff like that because obviously he's really young so it was it was like having a little brother for a while which was really fun loved spending time with him and I would take him out to the, like the markets and stuff to get food um, and he just wasn't used to that at all because the family I stayed with wasn't rich so he was just having dinner at home so when I'd take him out for some food and I'd be like it's all on me get whatever you want in the menu and don't think I'm some sort of philanthropist here like it was fucking uber cheap so I wasn't breaking the bank he was just so grateful he was so so happy so I was wild to see on someone else's face and yeah over the next next couple of weeks I got used to exploring Kathmandu and Kathmandu is just a, it's just a wild place unless you've been you won't really understand it's like it's extremely dirty, extremely polluted. People are burning trash on the side of the road. Um, but the people are also amazing. Like, you'll be walking through the streets, and there's not a single street that is just pedestrianised. Like, every single street you're allowed to ride motorbikes on. I think bar one street in the entirety of Kathmandu, it's all just, like, <laughs> there's just motorbikes everywhere, so you need to, like, have an eye out at all times. Um... Yeah, addressing like the food, food in Nepal's not great. It's like their main thing is dal bat, and they always say dal bat power twenty four hour, which is uh, it's like their main kind of staple thing. It's like lentils and rice and a few different things, and that's what they they live off. Like we were having dal bat at like ten ten a.m. in the morning when you live with that family, which coming from like the west, like I'm not gonna lie, after like two weeks of having rice at ten a.m., you're kind of sick of rice kind of done with it but yeah Kamandu's cool uh, Momo's another thing kind of like little Asian dumpling things um, we'd see the monkey temple there's temples everywhere in Kamandu, so you can see a bunch of them um, there's quite a lot of historical sites lots of things you can go and do so I spent the next few weeks just kind of exploring seeing different things doing a lot of photography at the time um, I was also working a job for the first few months of travelling. Shout out Mitko from Web3 Adventures doing like a cryptocurrency consultancy gig. So I think it was like four or five days a week I was doing like part-time hours online, which was interesting. So I was still working. I go to a lot of cafes and get a little coffee. But it was interesting like when you would walk down the street, when I went in Feb, they hadn't had many backpackers. So me going like I was like an alien to them so I'd walk down the street and just like everyone would stare at you everyone you get a lot of conversations with people it's really cool lots of people come up and talk to you and ask you about things and ask to practice English with you and stuff 
and sometimes amazing sometimes like if you're hungover or something you'd just be like oh, okay like i'm done with this um anyways those first two weeks were like apart from spending time with sim and i it was pretty lonely it was just me running about Kamandu exploring it um i also had a back injury at times so i was recovering from that and then i think it was around two and a half weeks in i was on reddit um and i went on like the r slash Kamandu to check it out <laughs> this girl had posted uh, something about guys like following her home, this English girl and I like heard the English accent and I was like I hadn't met anyone at this point because I wasn't on dating apps or anything like that and there just was barely any backpackers there at that point so this random girl, you didn't see her face, didn't see anything, you just heard her voice and she, she posted this video on Reddit of two guys like kind of following down the street and I just thought fuck it like I'll message her so I messaged her um, and I was like, what's up, I'm Scottish, 22, in Kathmandu just now, I've not met anyone, like, down to grab a drink or something, she was like, yeah, sure, um, fucking weird, but yeah, sure, <laughs> so I ended up meeting her in Kathmandu, I think this is like two or three weeks in, um, and her name's Ruby, we're now really good friends, talking to her the other night, she's currently in Jerusalem, I think, um, or Israel, and yeah, just like got along like an actual house on fire. It's like two kids like just giggling away and she very quickly became one of my closest friends. And I'd honestly I don't think I've ever laughed with someone more since then. Like just every time we were together just ended up buckled. But that kinda opened my eyes more to the experience of travelling because that first two weeks was lonely and I was staying with that host family. Met her, met some friends, met Anusha, which is a uh, um, Nepalese girl from Kathmandu. She was lovely, and a few of their friends. Um, I got more of a social thing going, and then spent a hank around three weeks in Kathmandu, and we're like, okay, like I want to go and see Pokhara. So Pokhara is like more beautiful. It's more relaxed. The food's better. The atmosphere's cleaner. It's just like this little kind of like lakeside town it's got lots of mountains around it and it's where you start off to do the treks to like Annapurna and stuff um so we decided to take the bus there and the bus is just fucking awful it's like 11 hours long um and you're on these mountainsides like thousands of meters up with no guardrail on them and it's rocky and there's like people puking like it's just it's a horrible bus journey, but eventually you do get to you get to Pokhara and it's way more relaxed. I stayed at a place called Kiwi Hostel, which was unbelievable. And yeah, Kiwi Hostel was awesome. I it was just full of like backpackers and that was my first kind of semblance of like real travelling, meeting everyone in that hostel, like a bunch of backpackers. And we're in Pokhara, we've done a bunch of cool stuff. I've worked during the day on that job and then done paragliding, which I'd never done before. That was sick. Um, over Pokhara in the mountains, a lot of the food was really good from there. i done my first trek to a place called Poon Hill. Um, and that overlooks like the Annapurna Range. You get this like amazing view, or you're supposed to. So that was my first trek. Um, went in that, didn't need a guide or sherpa, just went solo. Ended up going two days up and one day back down. 
and yeah, that was that was awesome. First experience trekking. You stay in these little tea houses. They're like five bucks a night, if that. Um, and they have this like tradition in Nepal, where if you buy your dinner and your breakfast there, then they'll give you the room for free. Because at this point it wasn't peak tourist season. Because this was like I think this was March or April at this point. So it wasn't peak tourist season yet. So they have this thing where if you pay for dinner and you pay for breakfast, they'll give you the room for free. Which as a Westerner, being a bit of a cheapskate, but does it definitely help with cheapening treks? Anyways, get up there. You're a few thousand. I think you're like three thousand meters or something at this point. So not majorly high, but high enough to feel the altitude a little bit. Um, and you just got a lot of time to like trek and see things um, got up to the top of that mountain you get up for sunrise and stuff hoping you get this beautiful view of Annapurna and I was up with this German guy that was just, just some German dude that I'd met, Christian was his name and we got up at like 4am to see the sunrise, everyone's out there in this mountain and then there's just there was just no view at all just like not even close to a view <laughs> cloudy as not raining, just cloudy shit, so you just couldn't see any of the range. You could see parts of it peeking through, but not really at all. So still not a wasted time, but um wasn't incredible either. Anyways, come back from that trek and ended up meeting um two guys, Harry and Remy, um two two blokes from London as well, which is where Ruby was from, and ended up becoming quite close knit with with them three especially, um, and uh, a German called German girl called Isa at some point as well, and just like had had my first actual kind of like friend group there, which was lovely. Just really got along, and I've discussed this before in the podcast. But there's like such a dichotomy between like really posh English and sort of Glaswegian people, such as myself, just in terms of like where you grew up and stuff, but really fucking got along with them, like, absolutely loved spending time with them, it was awesome, um, and then we kind of went our separate ways for a bit, Remy went to do a Vipassana, um, Ruby stayed around for a bit, just got to see her for a bit longer, um, there was multiple times where people didn't know what they are doing, they thought they'd left, we ended up seeing them at a later time as well, Harry left to do a big trek um, over Nepal, I think we, like, get, like, four or five of them together, Anyway, spent a few weeks in Pokhara, done like a few lake trips and like a bunch of cool experiences. Um, we come back to Kathmandu, um, have some like nights out together. There's an Irish bar there, as there is fucking everywhere. There's always an Irish bar in places for some reason. And uh, spent some amazing nights just like getting to know people, people from all over the world, a lot of Germans, a lot of Dutch. Um, a lot of English, um, yeah, it was the kind of main diaspora. But I think the thing I loved most about Nepal is like the people travelling there were way more thoughtful than any of the other countries I went to. It's like Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, the rest of them, but Nepal stood apart because all of the backpackers you met there were like there to hike or like have like an authentic experience. There wasn't many, like, 18, 19-year-olds. They were all, like, kind of, like, 21, 22 and above. Mainly, like, 20, 22 to 25-year-olds because they all wanted to do hiking and, like, just were a bit more thoughtful and a bit more, kind of, like, 
down to earth. So I loved getting to know, especially backpackers in Nepal, um, which was really fun. And then spent a little bit longer there and then decided to do the Everest trek, which is which was unbelievable. I kind of talked through the experience of that. So to get to Everest, you need to get a flight to Lukla, which is the starting point. And Lukla is known as the most dangerous airport in the world. Like, Google the most dangerous airport in the world, Lukla comes up. Um, because it's got this tiny, tiny little runway on the edge of a mountain, and you're flying in in this tiny little shitbox through all sorts of weather conditions, because you're up in the Himalayas, of course. So we get to the airport, um, met a few different people who were waiting in the airport, and then flights were just getting cancelled left, right and centre. So anytime the conditions are bad, they just cancel the flights, unless it's absolutely clear they just cancel them. So I think the first flight that day got away and then the 13 after that got cancelled. Um, anyways, I met this bloke with... He, he just sounded exactly like Miles Teller. I can't even remember his name. Kelvin? Uh, Calvin. Some Canadian guy called Calvin and he just had like the most Miles Teller accent of all time. It was so wild. It was like speaking to Miles Teller in person. Anyways, me, him and two Brazilian guys, we... Actually, I don't think he came with me, but two Brazilian guys, we ended up getting a car to this airport that was closer. And this was just something you hear through the grapevine. Like, you just, like, I met these two Brazilian guys in the airport. They were like, oh, we know of a guy who told us you could do this. And then we get this tour guide who gets us in a car. We drive seven hours to this place. It's closer to Everest. Get in this place. We're in these fucking little tents. It's like a tent in a luxury resort. It's so strange. We stay over there the night. Um, all the flights of the previous day were cancelled, so everyone else was still waiting there. Wake up the next morning, um, and we were just like kind of on edge for like five hours, just like, when is our plane going to come? And you get told it's going to come the next hour, and it's two hours later, and it's not came. Anyways, eventually this plane comes, and it turns out it's ours because there was like multiple groups there with multiple different um, like travel agencies and stuff. So we got on this plane, everyone's like excited and fucking hyped, but nervous as well. Because <laughs> you are in this little thing and you're like, it's only a 30 minute flight from this place to, to Lukla, but you just know the dangers of it as well. Anyways, as you're flying, you're flying over like these beautiful mountains and stuff and eventually you're kind of like above the clouds and you break through them. As you break through them, you just see this little, little speck on the side of a side of a mountain you're like surely that's not the runway and you're like okay it is and as you start coming down like the planes side to side it's like up and down like you're properly getting thrown around uh, by the air and you're like is he going to turn around is he just going to go for it come down everyone shit themselves eventually you hear the tires hit the tarmac and you just like start screeching on the brakes and you can see out the front of the plane at this point because it's one of the small ones and you just see the wall of the end of this runway just rapidly approaching, rapidly approaching. And you're just like, are we going to hit that? And like they somehow stop like genuinely a few metres away. Um, and that feeling, that's like a feeling of accomplishment in and of itself, just getting off that plane. Got to commend the pilots for that as well. I was... A wild, wild thing for them to do and just, yeah, 
glad we we actually got there safely as well. So you got off the plane um, and start the trek, and you walk through the first town um, at Lukla, and you can just see loads of people hiking. The majority of people hiking are like hiking in groups. Um, one thing I noticed is lots of like Americans and like Europeans are in like their sixties or their fifties and their sixties, and they're all in these massive hiking groups. And they've all got like the dorky hats and the fucking the hiking poles and like all the gear and stuff and they're all like they're all yeah I mean I guess you should be kind of thingied up but I was just in like a pair of boots some shorts and a backwards cap and that was me a four litre backpack no sleeping bag nothing like I just went bare minimum bare bones with it it's like I want to carry less and get up quickly um so I set off my myself um and then on the first night ended up meeting a bunch of the people I'd met in the airport, playing cards, um, having a beer, things like that. Yeah, f first, first at least like two or three days trekking, not that bad because the altitude's not awful. Um, but it was just stunning. Like the first few days, there's lots of like lush green forests that you're walking through. There's beautiful big ravines. There's massive steel cable bridges over them, just like hundreds of feet up um, above these rivers and you're just like one of the f first time in a long time where I've just been like astounded by the gravity of the beauty if that's even a, a sentence you can put together just utterly stunning um, yeah unreal and then the second and third day second day you got up to Namche Bazaar Namche Bazaar is kind of like the launching off point for a lot of things. A lot of people stop and acclimatise there. So it's around 3,000 metres just over. So you're supposed to go there, go up for a day after and then come back down and that gets you used to the altitude. Um, but if anyone knows me, I'm pretty, pretty impatient. So I went up there, stopped at Namche. This was like midday. Um, went up a bit more and then came back down on in the same day and I was like, okay, that's me acclimatised. And Namche's cool, it's like a proper proper big town. There's like restaurants and there's an Irish pub with like pristine pool tables. Like I'm not joking, pristine pool tables. And like you're like, how did they get this up here? You're three thousand meters into the mountains and they've got these beautiful pool tables that they've, they've, they've like handcrafted. It's like they barely get access to running water, but pool's like a priority for them. It's just wild. Ash Bar was cool though. You met a lot of fucking awesome people there. Um, and a lot of people were doing it in groups, but I just wanted to go faster, most people. So I'd done it in eight days in total, six days up and two days down. Most people do it in like at least 10 usually. Um, so I did go a bit faster, but I just like, I knew that I wanted to push myself. So after Namche, I started taking Diamox. Diamox is just like this drug that gets you used to the altitude sickness and pretty much everyone takes it. And the people that don't take it are usually the people that get helicoptered off the mountain. Um, but yeah, that third day trekking, you're kind of going from these beautiful, beautiful mountains um, and Namche and you're heading up to, I think it's Lobushi. There's like a there's three bushes, there's like Lobushi, Tingboshi and another Boshi. I can't remember the, all the names of them. But you go from like these beautiful mountains and forests and stuff like that. 
and you're trekking. I was trekking for like maybe six or seven hours a day, like not that bad, but you have to go incredibly, incredibly, incredibly slow because at that altitude, if you go fast, like your head just hurts and you run out of breath. So I don't know how to describe this like on a thing. It's like walking on the moon. Like that's the kind of pace you have to walk at. Um, you have to walk really slowly and just be consistent with it. But yeah, that, it was just spectacular. I'll see if I can put some pictures on screen of what that looked like. And that's where you get your first view of Everest. You go up to the end of this massive hill and you're in this little village. And I can't remember the name of the village, but you're overlooking um, like this massive kind of like ravine. And in the middle, you just see Everest way in the distance. And it's fucking awesome. Someone pointed out to me like, that's Everest. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Something you've heard about for so long, and it's just there. Um, so yeah, I didn't. I made I made some friends on the way there, but I just went so fast that I couldn't like maintain friendships on that trek. Um, day four and five got to I think it was Tangboshi, which is like the second to third last stop, and up there they had like a little cafe with like the most amazing cookies and muffins and hot chocolate and coffee you've ever had like they they had like movie nights i can't remember what it was we watched it was something to do i think it was free solo we watched um we're all just like cozied up in there and to give you context like during the day it's warm during the day you're talking like 17 degrees you can kick about in a t-shirt but at night up at those you're getting down to like minus 10 minus 15 at those kind of altitudes, so it's fucking cold at night. Um, but you had this beautiful cafe, amazing cookies and that, and again, you're like, how the fuck are they managing this this far up on the back of people's thingies? And that's the point I should probably, like, touch on, is that a lot of the people that bring stuff up here is, like, the Sherpas. So they have got actual houses and buildings on their back as wild. These are little, like, five two men and they're carrying entire countries on their back. It's bananas. And a lot of people hire like guides or Sherpas because it contributes to the local economy. But I just, not that I didn't want to contribute, I just one didn't have the money and two wanted to do it myself. So yeah, that's who gets all the stuff up there. Um, but yeah, up at that distance, you're really starting to feel the attitude. Like one at night, I'd be sleeping in all my clothes and then I'd ask for like three blankets as well. So you're just like, cozied up as much as possible um, and at that altitude your sleep just kind of starts to suffer as well just generally because you're at such a high altitude and then you head up to is it Tengboshi or Lobushi you head up to the next stop which is the stop before Gorikshep and Kalapatar and Everest Base Camp and head up there and it's like um John Cracker describes in his book Into Thin Air, which is a book about Everest. The place is just like a fucking dump at this point. Like this, because it's just so hard living, like the place is just a bit desolate. Um, anyways, you get in there. I was speaking to like a bunch of people when I was in that, because I got there at like two o'clock on that trek and I ended up speaking to a bunch of people and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get up at 4am and start hiking tomorrow because my thought was like, I got up super early, I can do a massive day of trekking to Everest Base Camp, to Gorikshep, to Kalpatar, 
and then get back down to a lower distance in the same day, yeah, it'll be a difficult day, but I won't need to sleep at high altitudes again. And I'm really happy I did that. So you, I slept at um, Tenbushi or Lobushi, whatever fucking bushy it was. And I just barely slept. Like, your heart's just beating too fast because you're up at such high altitude that you, you're just not able to sleep well. So I slept for like two hours, got up at 4am. A bunch of people said they'd come do it with me, but they just like ended up bailing. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. Like, um, don't blame it. It was 4am in the morning, probably tired. And this was like my brother's recommendation. So I went out 4am. Um, sorry, mum, dad, if you're listening to this. It was like minus 18 degrees. And I went out pitch black all i had was a head torch on pure wrapped up in all my clothes and just following the path and the darkness um to trek to to gorukship that morning and i remember it being like half four in the morning i'm like 30 minutes in this trek you're just hiking over stones at this point there's no nature at all so you're just in like this basket of the gods massive mountains at either side you're heading to that final push of base camp 4 30 in the morning and I remember there being this like bluish kind of ethereal haze kind of start to appear. And it felt as if I was on like fucking Pluto or something. And I remember looking around, minus 17, I was in the middle of nowhere, nowhere there, nowhere that no one there with me. My torch from my headlight, the only light like I could see, and then these massive mountains just looming, and you could just see this bluish outline of them, and I just thought fuck this is what it means to be alive like I never felt so helpless but also like alive at the same time and it was just amazing I was like this is one of those experiences that I'll never ever ever forget like I just felt so human and so connected I know that sounds pretentious might be so connected to like the earth and being a person like disconnected from any social media technology nothing it was like if I died I died I was cool that was that's part of mother nature it was like, yeah, I, I, hard to describe that feeling, but it was awesome. Anyways, continue on that track. Somehow managed to keep to the track, even though it was pitch black and it started, sun started to rise just before I got to Gorukshep. And Gorukshep is a kind of launching off point to go to both Kalpatar and Everest Base Camp. Kalpatar is a bit higher than Everest Base Camp and it gives you a good view of Everest itself. So I get there, it must be like six in the morning at this point. And I'm like, okay, get some food in me, get some food in me. Feel like absolute wank at this point, but I'm like, I've got to keep pushing on, I'm this close. You see people getting like helicoptered off of the mountain because they're just getting like altitude sickness and stuff. A lot of people start to suffer at this point as well, but I just popped more Diamox. I was like, fuck it, put more in my system, see what happens. Anyway, start that trek to Everest Base Camp. The The final stretch of it really isn't much to talk about. It's just really jaggedy rocks. It doesn't feel doesn't feel like a pilgrimage at that point. You're just like, fucking get this over with. And as you get there and you see Everest Base Camp, and it's like, it's a bit, it's cool, but it's a bit like, oh, is that it? It's just like, it's literally a bunch of tents at the base of a mountain. Like, it's not, it's not what you imagine it to be. I don't know what I pictured in my head, but it was like, not a disappointment, but it was just like, a bit. I was a bit confused. Um, and I got there and had a look around. There's this massive rock that says Everest Base Camp, 5,364 metres on it. Got my picture on top of that. It was just me and some lone French dude at like 7am. Um, and he took my photo with a Scotland flag on top of this 
this big fucking rock. And I was like, cool, done, easy. So I went back to thingy, went back to Grow Ship, must be 9am by this point at least. And I was like, okay, I want to go up Kalpatar, which is higher than Everest. And that that was probably the hardest part of the entire trek was going up to Kalpatar because that's 5,700 metres, I think. No, yeah, around that 5,700 metres and it was just a slog, just like steep, really slow. Went up there, chilled for 20, spoke to some German guys in the top and a lot of people, they just couldn't make it at that point. And then I decided to come back down. And I'd met this Scottish couple um, a few times during the trek. Um, and on my way back down, um, I came back down to Gorkship, and I came back down to Lobushi, and then Tengboshi after that. And that descent took me like five or six hours. So that day I'd got up at four in the morning. I think I finished around 6 p.m. in the afternoon. So it's like a... 14 hour day worth of trekking but it was just like I was shattered I was done in but every part of it was worth it I'm so glad that I did that because I didn't need to sleep at altitude I slept at a lower altitude that day than I did the previous day and then I made my descent from there um, so from there it took me two days I'd done one more day to Namji and then from Namji one more day back down to, to Lukla where my um, my flight was booked out of. And it was pretty plain sailing from there. Come back down, feeling of like actually doing Everest, it's awesome, like it's such a, that is such an accomplishment. I'm really proud of myself for doing it. Um, Yeah, awesome to come down from that and then you jump on your plane and you're back in Kathmandu. And I remember coming back to Kathmandu and like obviously I just spent eight days in the wilderness and I was like, I was buzzing to get back into the chaos of it. Like I was like a pure mist civilization, even though Kathmandu is like dirty and grimy and horrible and not civilization as you'd call it in like a Western country. But yeah, um, I was so excited to get back into the chaos of it. And then, yeah, I got back into Kathmandu and I think I spent a few more, few more weeks um, in Kathmandu doing like a, a few treks a few little smaller treks just outside it and seeing cultural sites and then yeah I booked my flight to Vietnam and yeah flew into Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh Saigon down the south by myself I think about two weeks after I got back from Everest and that was it that was that was Nepal um there's a lot more I can speak on Nepal of like what it was actually like, but the people were amazing. Kamandu is a shithole. Love Pokhara. The treks were incredible. Um, just interesting in general. Highly rate, highly recommend. Yeah, do it. And next time I'll speak about Vietnam.